Uh, Chris? Yeah? Why does it stink? I don't know why you can smell me from thousands of miles away. No, I come here because I want to talk to you guys while I'm on summer break and enjoy myself. You invite me on an episode, and for some reason it stinks. It smells like death. I definitely showered today, so it's not me. Okay, so I definitely showered twice today. I just woke up. It's not you. It's not me. Is it the episode title? Because we literally put it as what's that smell. And I assume we were going to talk about like pastries and something of like, you know, all the food Pokemon. And it smells like crap. What did you do? We're not talking sweet smells today, Luke. You liar. You lied to me. I did not lie. I said, what's that smell? And Ah, you assumed it was pleasant. I wanted it to be the cakes. Ah. We're going to need to get a baker for them cakes. Ah, I wanted to interview a baker. We'll get one, but today we actually have a very, very special interview. He loves to grow giant plants and actually just bloomed a corpse flower down at NC State University. That's really uh, cool. That's uh, yeah. no, no lie. That's awesome. It's it's I, it's his third bloom uh, from this one particular plant, which is really, really cool. As you'll see, it takes a lot of work to get this plant to bloom. A lot of work and a lot of time. Don't keep me in suspense. Let's go ahead. I love saying this. Hang on. Let me do it. Let me do it. Cue the music. All right. So in science news, um, this one, I don't know if it counts as much as science news, but I thought it was really, really cool to see. Uh, so in Australia, they have the same issue in America does with wild animals going after garbage. And that's become a, an issue with they're going through. They, so they built lids to keep things like ibises out and things like uh, different reptiles out to make sure that things don't, you know, eat the garbage. Mm -hmm. What they found was the cockatoos were going into the garbage. And the cockatoos were able to do it because they were smart enough to watch people open the lid. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to use their feet and their beak to open the lid. And then other cockatoos were seen going in and getting the food out. So what's really funny to me, Lucas, is that I was trying to find the article as you were talking. And so I Googled Australia garbage animals. Is it the ibis? And the first thing that popped up is trash parrots. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's that's about right. Uh, there actually is a song, not for kids, called um, the worst, uh, A Song About Birds that sings about how the ibis is the worst bird. Again, it is not for kids. There's plenty of swearing and Australian swearing. It's a lot. But it's my favorite song. It talks about how the ibis is like the disgusting bin chicken garbage eating bird. But no one mentions the cockatoo can do it, too. So, so basically, they're learning. Yeah, it's there of learning and adapting. I mean, parrots and cockatoos—they're—they're they're smart. Everyone knows that they're smart. And but every now and again, it's always good to have a nice little example of just how ridiculously smart they are. Again, we have a big episode, so I didn't feel like blowing the whole thing with like, "Hey, we discovered this new cure for cancer that might work." Like, no, 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 no. we'll save that for another time. Yeah. I just wanted to about, talk about garbage eating parrots. I also think it's it's cool, Lucas, because in the article that I, that I found. It said that it's not just that they're learning from observing humans, but they're also learning from other cockatoos. Yes, that is a, a behavior most people don't realize other birds can do, that when they watch not just humans but other animals, they can learn from them too. And that's yeah. so cool. Animals are so much smarter than people give them credit for. It doesn't mean humans are stupid. I actually am one of those people that humans are not entirely stupid. It just means that animals are smarter than you think they are. Well, it's the whole how you measure intelligence. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, Pokemon... We had a new game drop. 
Yes, we did. Pokemon Unite dropped out. And um, what are your thoughts? I want to hear you're more positive than I am. Well, so we we both have similar feelings about aspects of it. I will say it is about it's as fun as I wanted it to be. It is undeniably a fun game. Yes, I will agree. It's I've also never played a MOBA before. Me too. Uh, so this is my first. Yeah. So this is my first one. Obviously, like Gengar's super overpowered. Uh, and so is Cromorant, but like, I like the diversity of the mons, the support mons. Like I, I think that it's, it's very fun to play. It's very fun to play with friends. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing them. I know they just dropped Gardevoir. I, I just played her. I played her the other night. Again, I'm on the different time zone. So I got to play her. So like, it's, it is a fun game, but I, I'll let you do the butt. Yeah. Now the two things, the two complaints I have about the game is one is I feel it should have dropped with more healing support characters. Fair. There's rumor that there should have been a Chansey and Blissey that should have been already have dropped in the, there's that that's coming out. I feel that they should have had more supports in the beginning. They have so many attack and so many range characters. You need at least one more healing. So that way we're not all flooded with Elder Glosses. We need different yeah. patterns and styles for that. Yeah. The other thing is the pay to win mechanics. Now, I've seen a lot of people on both sides get really upset about this, say, oh, just get good. Just get good is not a big deal. And at the same time, I've also been people like, no, it completely destroys the character of the game. And I tend to be with the people who are in the latter category because if people have done experiments, even if the health you're getting from these items, so if you don't know, you can get items in the game and you can pay money to boost them faster. So a level one item is very different from a level 30 item. And, and you can do it naturally in the yeah. game, but it takes a lot longer. Oh my goodness, yes. The time sink it would take, there's nobody right now. Yeah. with the, If you were playing every single day for the whole week, you would still not be able to have gotten all the items, even three items up to level 30. But yeah. it's incredibly important that people understand that in MOBAs, those few seconds, those few drops of help can mean life or death. And the fact yeah. that you have an advantage, you can have an advantage in speed, defense and attack simply by paying money that's not okay cosmetics go for it if you want to spend thousands of dollars to put your gardevoir in a cute little bonnet that's <laughs> that's on you you do that that's fine i don't like how it's for kids i never like again i but it's not loot boxes which is a different thing you know exactly what you're getting mm -hmm. when you buy it that i do respect like it's not just a loop it's not a pay to win loot box it's just a pay to win mechanic and it's it's not great. I got a lot. They have to change that for me to play again. I played a little bit for Gardevoir, but yeah. it's also. I think I saw that it's like to to level up a level thirty item. I think it's like forty bucks per item. Yeah, with a hundred. Yeah, you can spend like a hundred bucks. The character prices I'm actually fine with, you know, because of mm -hmm. Apex. Like yeah. five, it's roughly five bucks per character, which is similar yeah. to how Apex does things. And it's like, eh. Well, also when it comes to like free to play games that you know ask for money in other ways, I'm always like, oh, I'm okay, you know, spending money here and there in those games because like I understand that there are people working on these games and they need they need to get paid. Yeah. Uh, and and this game was free for me to download and play. Um, so I'm okay sending it out there in, in, in that regard, but I have issues with like the amount of, of options there are like, or like how, like you said, like, you know, you paying to get an item that'll help you win, um, because winning is fun. And if you're constantly getting stomped by people with better gear, it's enticing you to spend money. And that's what I can't get down with. And the people who are upset are like, well, what about you just get good at the game and you have skill. And I agree with that to an extent. The items are not going to make you win. 
yeah. against an unskilled player. If you are more skilled than the other player, you are probably going to stomp on them. And I've seen some mighty fine stomping on both sides. I've been on some pretty terrible teams, and I'm not the best at the game either. But it's what happens when two care two people, two teams show up that are skilled and who both know what they're doing. One team is going to have the advantage if they have more paid items than the other. That's yeah. the problem. The fact yeah. is that skill can be overwritten by items, even the smallest amount. That's mm -hmm. not okay. That's not something yeah. I want in my game. They have for me to actually play it again instead of just logging on to say, "Oh, hey, Guard of War is kind of cool." They need to cut that out, the especially with tournaments coming up. Oh my God, yes, with tournaments, like how do you even expect to win? That means yeah. that everyone who's even had a chance of competing with each other will have each spent about a hundred dollars. Well, it's either the everyone has the same or nobody has any. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna run it that nobody has any items, that's one way to go about it. But I feel that kind of loses out on the creativity of the game either. Yeah. You should be able to have the items at their best, and then just run with it that way. Again, it's yeah. it's stuff that I, I really microtransactions. I don't like them as much. Yeah, I'm also kind of the my last thing is there's just too many currencies in this game oh lord there's five like, there's five. Like, like five yeah five six i don't know yeah but there's just so many like at least like with i get the only other game that i really like put money into regularly are pokemon go and apex legends and it's just like i'm just buying coins when mm -hmm. i buy stuff you know mm -hmm. granted apex has those red tokens that i barely use and have a bajillion of mm -hmm. but there's just so many currencies to keep track of i have no idea that's kind of helping me because I have no idea what I can buy. So I just don't. That's usually it's the opposite. When people put those effects in it so that you don't understand how much money you're spending. Yeah. I will say that in the store, the character design I really like is the big guy with the clo who sells the clothes. I love his design. Wait, which one? So when you go into the store for Pokemon Unite, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. you do it with the Sableye, that dude yeah. has mad drip. I love his style. That is some okay. of the coolest designs. Sorry. Blech. But, Lucas, we got to keep this train rolling because we got a big episode. So we're going to hit the other Pokemon news, Fast and Furious. You ready? Yeah, let's talk to this mans. All right. First, we had the announcement that we are getting a live-action Netflix series of Pokemon. Holy crap. In the, same, in the same style of Detective Pikachu. I completely forgot about that news. Cut out my last thing where I was jumping to the next guy. Cut that out. Oh, my God. 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 I am I... so hesitant. Yeah, has it, I'm excited. I'm it's ex like, it's Netflix. Do we need to bring up Netflix is Death Note? Do you want to bring that up? I mean, no, but like you could also cite all the good stuff Netflix has done. We certainly could. We, we certainly could. But Netflix's track record when it comes to making original program is there is a hundred, there's like 99 pieces of crap and one amazing gem. For every Witcher, there is like a show that was like a, a, some sci-fi show that gets canceled for every umbrella academy there's a jupiter's uh there's that jupiter's descendant sort of descent jupiter's descending for That's every good show there are 99 terrible ones that's why i'm hesitant that's what I, again that's why i'm hesitant not angry not scared okay. just like okay let's wait until the first episode not the trailer and the last bit of Pokemon news, Lucas. Yeah. Is we have our August community day in Pokemon Go. Isn't this the Eevee one? It's Eevee again. Hooray. What do we what do we get this time? Does this Eevee just blow up? Does it learn explosion? 
Uh, no, so it's actually, I will say it's a little cool. Basically, every evolution gets a different move. Oh, that's a lot. Um, rather than, because the last one, it was like everyone gets last resort. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, hold on, I'm pulling it up. Okay, so if you evolve your Eevee on August, it's a full weekend, so it runs from August 13th, which is a Friday, to Monday the 16th. Mm-hmm. Um, if you evolve a Vaporeon, it will learn Scald. If it Jolteon, Zap Cannon, Flareon, Superpower, which, okay. <laughs> I mean, give it a- <clears throat> I remember why, I know why they gave it Superpower, it's still dumb. I mean, yeah, I just, I just, okay, whatever. Uh, Espeon, Shadow Ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, Umbreon, Psychic, which I'm very huh? interested in, because... If we're getting into, like, the dynamics of the game, Psychic and Last Resort have the same energy cost, but Psychic is going to hit the things that hit Umbreon hard a lot harder than Last Resort did. Cool beans. Um, Leafeon, Bullet Seed. Cool. Glaceon, Water Pulse, and Sylveon will get Psy Shock. Hmm. I mean, I don't know enough about the game mechanics of fighting, but I, I like the idea they each get their own individual moves. My god, they're going to be catching so many Eevees. Honestly, the only one that really matters is Umbreon and Psychic. Uh, the other ones are, are you know, very spicy if you want to get into, like, the battling stuff. Um, but if you're like me, hoard all your shinies for whenever they decide to give us new Eevees, new evolutions. <laughs> That's you. Wait for it. Hold. Hold. <laughs> Hold. <laughs> I think I'm down to like three or four shiny EVs, so uh, I am uh, uh, I'm waiting for the next for next gen because hopefully we'll get some. I swear, every after February twenty second next year, I swear to you, Chris, it is going to get nuts. That's when we always announce that there's a new Pokemon game coming in November. Ah, oh, I missed. We gotta the... get past Legends. Get past yeah, we gotta Legends, get past. Le- we'll be there. Get past Legends. I'm running straight towards it. I'm gonna hug it. I just mean for an announcement. They're not going to trump legends. Yeah, no. Hopefully we get some more news. I mean, it's already August for for, oh, for Christ's sake. It's almost August and we barely know anything about either of the games. Well, oh, we're, well. Coming up, we're coming up on uh, Diamond Pearl, so hopefully we'll get something soon. Yeah, here's hoping. Fingers crossed. All right, Lucas. Let's jump on into this interview. Let's do it. All right. Well, Lucas, we're jumping into our topic right now, and I guess we're going to introduce our our guest this episode. So please introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me tonight. Um, So I'm Brandon Huber. Uh, I um, just completed my PhD in horticulture science uh, at North Carolina State University. Um, I recently just bloomed the corpse, uh, it's giant corpse flower. Um, My PhD research is in, was in, um, plant physiology and controlled environment systems. So indoor, indoor farming and how we can optimize uh, the efficiency of these indoor systems. But I also grow a lot of other rare and unusual plants, carnivorous plants, uh, this corpse flower that we'll be talking about a bit and uh, just other unusual plants that really make you scratch your head and think, wow, that's really cool. You like big plants. I, that too. I love plants that grow big and fast. I mean, have you ever spent any time in Florida? Because those palm trees, they tall. I I love I oh I love it. I love it. I, palm trees, I, I do have a number of them here in North Carolina. You can't grow too many of them, but they I, I do appreciate them for their size and and they're just they're aggressive plants. Mm-hmm. So the, the corpse flower, uh what's the the Latin name for it? 
So the Latin name is a Morphophallus titanum. It's the world's largest uh, unbranched inflorescence in the plant kingdom. The cork flower you named Lupin. Uh, how did you come to come into possession of Lupin? Well, I I was working. Um, so when I was during my undergrad, I was uh, working at a greenhouse as a greenhouse uh, a greenhouse production um, one of their on their production team, and we were growing greenhouse crops. And uh, I was traveling out to the Huntington Botanical Garden in California, and um, you know I, I I was really I'm really into cactus and succulents as well. And but I know the Huntington um, has bloomed many of these giant corpse flowers. And so when I was there, I uh, asked the curator who was a friend of my uh, boss at the time. And um, anyway, I got a behind the scenes tour, kind of he showed me around the back greenhouses. And I asked him for, I asked him if he had a plant I could buy. And uh, he just gave me and sent me home with this plant. So that became, that started the story of Lupin. And, mm-hmm. and Lupin rode back in my luggage from California to back to Pennsylvania um, as a small dormant tuber, the size of maybe a softball, if that, and, uh, the rest was history. And you were what, 20? I was, yeah, I was 20. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so first of all, did you know what you were getting into when you drove back to Pennsylvania with this, with this plant? Well, um, I did actually, because I had grown one before that had failed. And then, you know, what really got me hooked on that genus, uh, that plant genus is that I, already had a couple species in that plant genus. So I had already bloomed some and I just was like, wow, this plant's crazy. Um, it's this big flower, it smells bad. It's such a strange mechanism uh, for a plant to, you know, smell like a, a rotting animal and mm-hmm. to draw, you know, rather than draw bees and nice things, you know, it's drawing flies and beetles and things that you just don't want around. Mm-hmm. Um, but what a strange mechanism that is. And, you know, after blooming some of the smaller, but still pretty large flowering species of that genus, I wanted to grow the world's largest. I mean, that was just kind of like that. That was the goal that I had set for myself was I want to bloom this thing. I want to bloom the biggest one. Yeah. So I have to ask, how did you, how did you start getting into this? No one goes waking, being born and their first words were, I want to grow a giant flower that smells of death. How did you start? Well, I, you know, I, I grew up in Philadelphia in the city and uh, it's strange because, you know, you would think, oh, wow, he didn't grow up on a farm. I uh, didn't grow up around like nature as much, you know, and you're in this big, growing up in this big urban city, Philadelphia. Um, well, you know, my, so my, we have this Philadelphia flower show that goes on every year and my parents used to go there and bring us as kids. And, but I, but I have to say, you know, the show has uh, some competitive classes of pretty bizarre looking plants. And I got really into cactus and succulents and just kind of started, you know, having a couple cactus succulents at, you know, maybe seven, eight years old. Uh, but I was always fascinated by plants and just the building, you know, from that age on, I just started collecting plants and having more and more. And I especially became attached to like carnivorous plants. You know, here's a Venus flytrap that, you know, moves in front of you and it's triggered, you know, and it closes and eats bugs and and those are the kind of plants that really hooked me. You know, it's like, wow, these, you know, these, these plants are something. Um, and it just was something I couldn't look past that I wanted to know more and more about the, about plants and, and understand them and, and just, you know, become an expert in, in horticulture and, uh, and just, you know, as a hobby, but also as a profession as well. So at a young, by the time I was about 14 years old, 
I was already blooming some smaller morphophallus and I was competing in the Philadelphia flower show and um, just, you know, I just got hooked really young and, and just uh, it became a hobby and it's almost an obsession, you know, and uh, at that at pretty young, you know, about that age, 14 or so, I knew that I needed to go to horticulture, go into school for horticulture. So I went to uh, Temple uh, University in Philadelphia for horticulture and then, uh, you know, onward from that. So my, my takeaway is that succulents are the gateway plant. <laughs> well, they're, yeah, well, they're certainly one of them. Uh, I would say them, they're, you know, they're really, you know, you think about just uh, cactus and succulents, their ability to withstand super dry conditions, arid conditions. They can go like a lot of these things can go like a year without water or more um, with the stored, you know, the storage unit they have. They're just got, and they're also very textural yeah. as well. Um, I, I but, would uh, argue, I would argue that the Venus flytrap would also be a pretty good gateway plant, just because if you're trying to get kids engaged in plants, like oh, it's a tree, it doesn't do anything. Hey, kid, watch this flower eat a bug. Oh my god, so cool! I feel that's yeah. another one, a pretty good gateway as well. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. And I think that the cactus kind of led me to those other plants that are just bizarre. But uh, I don't know these the the carnivorous plants got me pretty young, and the Venus flytrap is just a clear example of that. I mean this, and and then also the sensitive plants. Some of these really, some of these plants that just um, you know move in front of you. You know, you touch them and they close, or you know, the sensitive plant does that too. Um, there's just some really bizarre plants, and when you when you look when you take a step back and you see you know the diversity of the plant kingdom and just how they they're all trying to you know, they're all trying to survive in different mechanisms. And it's just, it's such a cool, you know, story. That's awesome. So back to, back to the corpse flower, where is it from? Where, where is it native to? So the corpse flower is native to Indonesia, a very tropical climate. Um, it does not follow it to the typical season that we think of here in North America. Uh, just, um, it's very tropical. It wants hot, humid year round. It doesn't go to dormant. It doesn't sleep in the winter. It just grows and grows and grows. And it'll take rest periods when it feels like it, but they're not really season dependent. So how did you grow this tropical plant in Philadelphia? Yeah, so it was in a greenhouse. Uh, it, it was grown in a greenhouse. My first attempt at growing, I actually got my first one when I was 14 years old, the, the titanium. And uh, I tried growing it as a house plant and it failed. Uh, I lost it at maybe about two, three years in on that. And, uh, I realized that, you know, this is a tough plant to grow in a house, especially in a Northern climate, uh, where you just, you know, you, you don't have that consistent hot, hum, hum, hot and heat and humidity in the house. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't have a greenhouse. And, and so it wasn't until I was working for a greenhouse company that I was like, you know, I can probably house this in the conservatory and, and grow it that way. Um, I wouldn't, you know, discourage people from trying to grow them indoors but it is very it, it poses uh, many more challenges than a conservatory would would and once i had that condition met where i could grow in a greenhouse i gave it another go yeah and that was that was the ticket right it's like it's one thing to know how to grow it but if you can't provide that environment for it uh that's going to be your limiting factor and you said you were you were two three years in before you lost your first one. How long does it take to bloom for the first time? Yeah, it's ten to fifteen years. Jesus. So, yeah, so it's a really long haul, right? It's it's like 
it's it's a long um you got to be patient it's just a, it's a long journey mm-hmm. maybe you should have like a book or i feel like the, i feel like if you <laughs> go to the people who grow these things like oh i better get a book this might take a while maybe start <laughs> a family you need a couple books for 15 years lucas yeah <laughs> It's, Maybe I'll go, I'll go, I'll go have a, I'll go have a pet dog. By the time that dog has lived its full life and passed away. Oh, my flower. So there you can oh, kind of yeah. balance it out. You can kind of temper the loss of the dog with the blooming of your giant smelly plant. Yeah, that's just it. You know, you kind of have to, it has to be, don't just grow this plant and uh, don't drop all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, do other things, grow other plants and just be patient with this one. Just let it, just keep it. It's like a marathon, right? You know, you you just got to keep it happy for many years to come. And one of the wilder things that I remember about uh, Lupin, and it's, and it's, I guess it's just, it's not just Lupin, it's all corpse flowers, but the they have different stages that they go through. And the, the leafing stage, it gets really big, doesn't it? Right, yeah. Well, so yeah, absolutely. So the leaf will grow up to 15 feet tall, and that's what, that's where I mentioned, you know, this thing can be really difficult to grow in a house because not only is it huge, it's taller than most ceilings in a house mm-hmm. uh, or an apartment even. And, 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 but you also have to give it light to this whole big plant and, and light and humidity and heat, you know, and it's just, that's t- difficult to pull off in the house. I and, mean, you know, there's only so many grow lights you can rig up in uh indoor space to make this plant happy. Right. Um, it would, it would, in it's, older years it would take many grow lights just to grow one plant um and it would just become you know at that point it's just a a true labor of love right um so uh yeah but 15 feet tall you know this plant is really bizarre because it 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 has to it goes through cycles right so it's producing uh from a seedling you have a seedling plant that's maybe you know eight inches tall and it's this little tiny little plant and maybe a small pot and a small four inch container. And uh, it's first year, it's only this small plant. And every year or two, uh, it replaces that leaf with a bigger leaf. So it keeps, and as it's, as it's uh, sitting there looking like it's not doing much, it's, it's being photosynthetically active. It's building, there's an underground tuber, there's a bulb underground and it's building, it's, it's, it's building that tuber up bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually that leaf tires out in a year or two and it replaces itself with a bigger leaf. And it keeps building this tuber to the point where the tuber needs to be about 50 pounds or so before it thinks about it's ready to flower. So you've gone through about 10 years worth of leaves. And what's crazy is this plant uh, botanically produces uh, one single leaf at a time. So it only has one giant stalk which is botanically one leaf mm-hmm. so and it's it looks like a tree um it's very symmetrical it follows this fibonacci sequence it's very uh it's just a cool looking leaf and it, it you know it splits off in three at the junction at the at the main stem and then it splits off in sets of two and it just keeps doing this and it has all these little leaflets on the tip yeah so it looks like this big kind of palm tree like tree basically and it's and it's all it's all one big fleshy leaf, really. So when the plant decides that leaf is old and it needs to replace it with a new one, the whole thing just turns yellow and brown one day and flops over. So you have this giant, you know, leaf that's 12, 15 foot tall, and it just dramatically one day decides, I'm done and I'm gonna drop over. 
and then it replaces and then you know a couple months later it sends up another leaf that's even bigger or once it's old enough it sends up a flower instead but well where i wanted to highlight here is that as you're building this tuber you're building you're building a tuber to sustain a flower because when it flowers there's no leaf so you have this flower thriving off of stored energy that took 10 years or so just to make enough energy to make a this big flower and how long does the um how long does the flower last the flower only lasts 24 to 48 hours for 10 years of energy got converted to just 20 my lord that's insane yeah pretty pretty much i mean it, it's you know in that in that 48 hour win 24 48 hour window that the flower is you know quote open and smelly uh it has it took it maybe two months from a sprout that flower bud comes up off the bulb it takes it about two months to reach that opening day that's insane but yeah after that it it is it hopes to be pollinated and if it's not pollinated, then it's okay, but it just goes on to the next leaf cycle after that, after many months of sleeping. And it takes like little, it takes a nap in between the leaf and the flower stages, right? So it's kind of, it kind of recoups itself a bit. But, um, but yeah, 10, 15 years just to develop a flower that'll stink for a whole 24 hours. I avoided plants because I got a C in bio too, and that was my... It's trust for plants started there, but it's so, I, I'm sorry. Again, the smell is obviously what people care more about, but for me, it's the fact that 10 years of storing energy mm-hmm. to produce this. Look, I thought elephants were bad. Elephants have 22 months of holding a baby inside of them and storing that energy to have it born. Meanwhile, this plant is like, no, let me just hold on to all this energy, this solar energy for 10 to 15 years and use it up in a day. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it, it exactly. It, it is. It is that. And, and it would it kind of drags the energy out over a period of time. Uh, I'd also mentioned that this plant is thermogenic. It actually produces heat. Um, so, so, so not only does it smell, it's it's radiating additional heat, something like 15 degrees Fahrenheit above the ambient air temperature. And, in it, in it, and that's a very expensive toll on a plant to do. Um, that's a lot of energy spent to produce for a plant to heat up. You know, that's a lot of energy that the plant is consuming. Um, is there a reason for that? Like what, what's its purpose for heating up? It solely wants to mimic a, you know, this oh, like a corpse. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So that initial, so not only does the heat helps to sp- spread the smell, mm. radiate that smell even more, but it also mimics this like roadkill on a hot summer day type of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh this, my this, Lord. this, this biological, this, this bio, you know, this biological reaction kind of thing. So just yeah. really, I mean, it's, it's just a, you know, there's not a lot of plants to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, this is just one of this is one of the icons of that. Yeah. You know? So, for your purposes, you talked about wanting to grow the biggest one. So, when you're going about it, is your goal to get as much energy in that tuber as possible? Is that like how how you if you wanted to try to grow the biggest one, is that like the best plan of attack? Yeah, yeah, that's that's part of the goal, right? It's it's um, let you know. You want to keep the plant as healthy and happy as possible during that leaf stage. So I've done really well with this particular corpse flower loop that I call lupin, and in, in its ability to flower 
after each leaf cycle. So it took me 13 years to flower the first one. Mm -hmm. In 2016, I had my first flower uh, on Lupin, and I was able to generate a new flower after one leaf after that, which is kind of the, um, which is not as common, right? It's it's typical that, um, it's typical to take three to seven years after each, after the first flower to do it again. So, and I've been hitting three and two to three years on average after for a rebloom, which is really good. Yeah. Um, which tells me that the culture conditions, the, the care are optimal for this plant species. And mm. um, I have a couple of friends who um, in this community of growing these specific species, uh, we have a group online uh, on, you know, on a Facebook group and, and uh, we, we share a lot of information and, and um, I think, I think years ago uh, having a rebloom so frequent was very rare. Uh, but I think that, you know, what I've found is the, these plants are, are what I call a heavy feeder. They just thrive. They just love fertilizer. So don't be shy on fertilizers with these plants. They, they're heavy consumers. And if you feed them, you know, obviously you got to keep it in reason, but if you feed them, they will grow and respond to it very well in order to um, bloom again. For example, uh, from 2016, I had my first flower and the tuber was 50 pounds. I, after the leaf cycle, I was able to get that tuber to grow from 50 pounds to 120 in, in a year and a half. So, so imagine, you know, almost double, you know, almost triple, right? Almost triple it's, it's, it's biomass accumulation in a year and a half. You know, it's, it's, it's so that, that's a happy plant if you were to ask me. And then I get the last question I have uh, for you is after after it blooms, after it dies and flops over, what are you left with to kind of start again? Yeah, that whole thing, everything above ground. And the, the thing is, I always tell people when they ask me about and I get this, I get that question a lot is, you know, what's left above ground, right? And everything above ground is temporary with this plant. The The only thing that remains is that leaf. So we, uh, sorry, every, anything, sorry, only thing that is left is the bulb. Um, so the leaf parts, the flower parts, all of that just turns up, turns, shrivels up, turns brown and pulls away from the tuber, just like any other leaf or flower would do on a plant. And what's left is that there's kind of a, a, a abscission zone at the bulb where basically it just falls off from the bulb and what's left is the bulb. And then the bulb is like, for example, right now, the flower remnants are sitting on top of the bowl and the plant is already thinking about it in, in a sense of, I need to get ready to build my next leaf. So that, that's, that cell, those cells are already working. They're already, that plant's already thinking about, okay, I need to build a leaf and there's nothing there. So the flower falls off and all you have is this bulb with no shoot, there'll be very little, there, there's basically, if you see a shoot remaining on that bulb, it's, it'll be tiny. It'll be maybe a millimeter. And so it's got to, it's got to dump more energy into building this shoot. And, and so it can continue its life cycle. Um, so, um, so basically that flower is just going to continue to shrivel up. If you see on the li- the, the uh, live stream, which is still running, um, it's all shriveled up. It's flopped over. It's, it's just going to shrivel up. A lot of that is all water. 
and it's, it's sad. Gonna... I have the live stream up now. I'm just watching it. Like it's kind of sad. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And I did, I did kind of cut it apart because I was pulling pollen from it. Um, I, uh, I wanted to, I did not pollinate it, uh, but I did pull pollen from it for some other research that um, I'd like to do. And haven't you shared pollen in the past with other people trying to grow? I have. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, we've been trying to, we've been trying to take the genetics of titanium, the world's largest species, which is very tropical and difficult to grow. And it's just huge. And we've trying to, we've been trying to create hybrids with it in incorporate the genetics into more hardy, hardy varieties that, you know, you could grow, maybe you could grow a mini giant, maybe you could grow this thing at home, you know, uh, where you, we just wanted to see what's possible. Right. And a lot of this is just kind of mad scientist stuff, but we're trying things. We're trying, we're trying to cross it with some of the craziest from the giant titanium to the smallest, the species and trying to see what happens, see if it works. You know, it's just all fun. I'm, you know, uh, a lot of great, you know, uh, the, the world experts in Morphothallis, um, there's, there's, you know, there's a handful of them and they're, and they're all great people. And they're, they're, you know, I, I know most of them and, and, uh, we're just trying cool things, you know, and, and just, uh, pushing the boundaries and, uh, you know, who knows what, what we'll find in the, in the near future. Yeah. Who knows where we'll be in 10 years? Maybe we'll all have corpse flowers growing in our house. Yeah. Maybe you'll have Y'all yeah. will have corpse flowers. <laughs> y'all will have corpse flowers. I'm getting, you know, an animal. I, I don't do well with plants. Not the plant's fault. I, I just touch them and they die. So you don't want me, your corpse flower is going to become a real corpse flower if I go near it. So you sure you don't want to take on a dog in the meantime? I mean, I'm just going to take the dog for me. I'm not going to <laughs> like the dog. The dog will be when it passes away. I will replace it not with a plant, but with you know another dog because that's the cycle. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, that's all the questions, Lucas. Do you have any questions you want to ask Brandon about corpse flower, lupin, anything? I mean, the only question I want to ask, and again, we're we're going really deep in the time. If somebody wants to start with plants, if someone just wants to start, like you know what, I actually do want to start growing things. What is the best route that you can take? Obviously, we joked earlier about like gateway plants, but are succulents and Venus flytraps the best way to go? Um, well, I, I, do you mean specifically like if like for, for like if you were to get your hands into plants. Yeah. Yes. I say if, if Lucas wants to like dip, dip his toes in that, you know, where should he start? Well, you know, I think, you know, there's, there's the houseplant trend is the houseplants are really trendy right now. Uh, there's a lot of cool ones. Um, I, I would say, you know, I think that the most important thing is, is to try to grow a plant that you have, you know, that you can grow. And me uh, in, in, in uh, what I mean by that is that, you have the right environment for it. Um, like if you're going to take on cactus and succulents, uh, although they're really cool and people love to buy them, um, don't be discouraged if you kill them uh, for one at any point, really, uh, because part of that process of learning uh, how to grow stuff yourself in your in your specific environment, your specific house or apartment or whatever that lighting conditions are for you, um, some plants are going to work really well for you and some won't. And that can be that's where it gets really tricky to figure out. But I think trial and error is a big part. It's really important in that. Um, I've killed plenty of plants, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a plant expert, but I've, you know, I've, um, I've done a lot of trial and error and, 
and it, you know, it happens. And, and, you know, so I, I think, you know, just try different things and, and don't try to force a plant that's not, that, you know, it's not going to do well for you. If like, if you have a sunny spot and you put a shade plant there, it's not a good idea, right? Um, you can only, you can only, uh, you can only, only hold its hand so much through the process and, and, um, and, you know, not to be discouraged, but you know, you, you know, that that is, that's reality, right? Cool. All right. Oh, I think we did go real deep into this plant set, but let's let's go right into the Pokemon. I really want to hear your take on some of these guys. Yes. So, uh, well, Brandon, we obviously just talked a lot about how the Corpse Flower in particular uses aroma to its advantage because it's trying to attract those sort of not conventional insects to do the pollinating, the, the, the flies, the beetles, like you were saying. Flowers can also have a sweet smell to draw in insects, but a lot of the Pokemon use smell for a different reason. And it kind of gets back to those carnivorous plants that you were talking about when we first started this episode, Brandon. Right. Because uh, we don't really have a corpse flower Pokemon, but we've got a lot of hungry plants. Yeah, these plants have a taste for meat and sunlight, sometimes both. Yeah, sometimes both. Uh, so the first one we're going to get into is we're going to do the, uh, the Victory Bell line. Okay. And Victory Bell, Bell Sprout, Weeping Bell, uh, all come from pitcher plants. Yes. And pitcher plants, uh, aptly named because, I mean, just Google it, very distinctive shaped leaves to kind of create that uh, a pitcher. But instead of like, you know, lovely lemonade at the bottom, isn't it just like a bunch of digestive juices? Yes. So yeah. can you talk to me? How, how do these plants work what are what are they trying to do to to survive basically well you know carnivorous plants are yeah carnivorous plants are really uh interesting you know mechanism for survival they grow in a uh, very um poor very acidic soil conditions right so they actually have and because of that they there's little organic the organic matter doesn't break down very well so uh, you imagine uh, these plants grow in kind of very wet conditions where there's just not a lot of oxygen. So there's not a lot of decomposing of leaves and litter and whatnot. So the plants have, have evolved to get food other ways. And so they, they have these pitchers to capture and uh, digest insects uh, in order to get their fertilizer that way, their feed that way. Um, and um, Victor Bell's uh, a really cool one. Uh, because it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's based from this, uh, the genus Nepenthes, which, uh, I actually grow probably about 20 different species of these, of these plants. Uh, it's one of, one of another plant I, I, I tend to enjoy growing and, um, they're really cool plants. They, they grow in the tropics, uh, the, specifically the Nepenthes grow in the tropics. Uh, there are North American pitcher plants as well. Uh, but the, the Nepenthes of more what Victor Bell is, is supposed to be is a is a tropical plant from a tropical pitcher plant from places like Borneo um, and just very uh, rainforesty type uh, climates. And they grow ranging from lowland tropics to highlands where there's a they're up higher elevation. So they actually have some cooler nights um, and the plants are vining, too. So they actually kind of vine and grab on to uh, whatever they can grab uh, in order to um, get their food. And these things in the wild are eating like mice and uh, large bugs. And, and, you know, some of these pitchers can hold like one liter 
or or more of liquid. Um, just uh, and and a lot of that's digestive enzymes and it collects rain and other debris and and things just kind of are lured to it and and they 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 uh they approach it and it's it's very enticing to them and they they have these slippery lids on them that they kind of slip in and mm-hmm. then they can't they have downward facing hairs and 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 these trichomes that prevent uh things from crawling out of it they they get got basically yeah <laughs> yeah so I, the pokedex i was just reading up as you were talking the pokedex actually kind of gets some stuff right in that yeah it lives in tropical jungles so i think that's mm-hmm. pretty cool there but the other thing it mentions is that it's acid can digest anything which i think is a little bit of a little bit of a stretch <laughs> just exactly how is this acid similar to human stomach acid or is it a little bit weaker or stronger because the human body can digest mice and stuff too we just choose not to right um you know the enzymes are are not going to be as strong as uh, human, uh, human uh, stomach type acids. Uh, but they do, you know, they do a pretty good job. Um, they're, they, they, they do their, they do their job. Like if you put an insect in a pitcher, it will mostly still be there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically just sucking in the, uh, you know, what it wants from it basically. And you're kind of left, left with, uh, kind of the remnants or whatever. Um, What's really fascinating is a lot of uh, growers are um, these plants because they come from very uh, anaerobic soil environments. Um, you can't fertilize them. They don't like if you if you give these plants Miracle Grow, uh, they'll die. They basically will just it'll cook them because they're they're just not built to take up any sort of nutrients from the roots. Mm-hmm. Um, uh... but, but what's interesting, so there's 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 so used to eating insects or, or whatever in their pitchers. Um, that actually, so but growers have found you can actually put little fertilizer pellets in the pitcher to feed it that way, which is I think I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a nice workaround. The um, one this might be a morbid question: What happens to like mice bones? Yeah, they just kind of hang out in there, and you know. And... <laughs> Like a mice graveyard down there. Yeah, it's like you know, the garnish in a soup. It's like the little like yeah. little parsley you put on top. You look inside and you just oh what's flo- oh those yeah. are bones. And the and you know the pitcher the pitchers are not very long lived, right? So the pitcher okay. each individual pitcher the plant has many pitchers, right? And it it builds like like some of my species uh, the Nepenthes, uh the pitcher the the Victor Bell type Pokemon uh, have maybe four or five pitchers on them at most at a time. And they kind of go through the cycle of, you know what, this picture is getting old. I'm going to, it turns brown and it dries up and then it grows a new one. So it kind of is just like, and, and the pictures are modified leaves. So they're actually just leaf tissue that was, that is, you know, that kind of morphed into a, a device to feed the plant, you know? Um, so really cool. The picture is really just an extension of its own leaf. Um, and not only does the and you kind of see with Victor Bell, it kind of has this cord, this cord-like thing to it. And uh, these things that use this, they use that cord. They use this. They have a kind of. Um, they, I mean, it, it's not a, you know anatomically correct one hundred percent, but the the string that attaches uh, the pitcher to the leaf um, can coil around tree stems and or, or other like as a vine. So that's how it, it actually wraps this pitcher around like a branch to, mm. to pull itself up in the wild. Yeah. Um, 
So it's pretty cool there. Um, and there's one species that actually um, comes from the forest floor. Um, it's a picture uh, called Nepenthes uh, ampullaria. It has a short squat toilet bowl looking pitcher and it sits on the forest floor and it's actually shown to digest organic matter rather than, I mean, it does insects as well, but it actually seems to, from where it comes from, it, it's, it's actually doing more organic matter instead mm-hmm. than the bugs, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. So it's actually eating plant parts. Oh, I got you. Okay. Cannibal. Yeah. yeah. The, the, um, the vine thing, Lucas, that's for victory bell. That's a little bit more, an uh, anglerfish Cause it basically uses it as a, as a bait. Yeah. It uses it almost like a lure. Like, hi, I'm a sweet, delicious rattata. Come close. And I gotcha. And one thing that it does say in the Pokedex as well, that they live in huge colonies. So that's another thing it gets right. That there are multiple pitchers for one group, even if they're not, you know, completely separate. But it does say that it can digest bones, which we just experienced. It can't. Still really gross. Yeah. And one thing I was going to mention about the bones is a lot of my, um, I'm, I'm involved with some grower groups online and in, in these plants as well. And, and uh, you know, occasionally you'll see people with like large green, with greenhouses. And so they're basically whatever animals are getting in there. I've seen pictures of like frog skeletons and stuff and, and different, you know, um, maybe even mice skeletons in that have gotten in these pictures, um, just not purposely fed, just, they just, they fell in there. And <laughs> so, uh, it, it happens. I mean, that's, that's what's happening in the wild. Uh, but I even see it happening in people's like home collections in the greenhouse, or if you put these plants outside, they'll catch all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is when the picture turns brown, you know, you're left with this dried up pitcher and there's all these remnants inside. So dark. You, know, you got dark, like, dark. this yeah. might be like the grossest episode we've <laughs> ever done. Uh, it might be, it might be up there. Now, Lucas, if you wanted to be even more scared of this line in the game, did you realize that weeping bell uses tools? Oh, come on. <laughs> it says that it uses leaves to cut food up so it can eat it. Are you, oh, that's tool usage. That's for dolphins, you stupid plant. You're not a dolphin or a primate. What are you doing? It's a very smart plant using tools. <laughs> what What is the weeping bell doing? I, I think it's learning how to read. And you just literally see it like flipping <laughs> through leaves like a book. <laughs> yeah, I saw that and I was like, oh no, the carnivorous plant is getting smart. Um... <laughs> it's planning. It, what what's the book it's making a menu and you know it's funny about the victor bell is that it is based off of there is actually a species of nepenthes that has two fangs on it um oh, called the, the the yeah it's uh i'll drop it here in the chat here but it's it's nepenthes bicalcarata and it it has two fangs that hang down from the lid and it's uh, it's just a really cool. Oh yeah, it's a cool one, and it's got those. Now the fangs on Victor Bell are, be- are on the bottom lip, um, but this one is this is uh, you know anatomically it's on usually at the, at the top there, and then and then even crazier, well some uh, different but also crazy is the species Nepenthes hamata, and hamata uh, has. Um, kind of fangs that hang around the whole lid no the whole um it, what we call the peristome oh, it's, come uh, on that's terrifying did you, are you looking at it now it's a, yes it's i'm just, looking at it my it's lord got, 
it's got purple claw-like things that hang down around the, the, the rim of the pitcher, and it's it's such a cool species. Also, that's, that's actually, that's kind of pretty. Like, it's terrifying, but it's pretty. Yeah. I mean, like, it's almost as if evolution and nature decided, you know what, we need to make a plant that's scary. How about if it could digest almost anything that falls into it? Uh, not scary enough. Then someone's just like, how about teeth? Yeah, this <laughs> I know that plants are crazy. And uh, this yeah, there's a couple species like this, but um, most of them just have a normal like lid and a normal lid and, and kind of this rim. But those teeth are slippery. So they'll actually, it'll be like, uh, they'll be glossy and uh, slippery so that, you know, and, you know, as an insect, you're drawn to this, this like shiny looking whatever to them. Mm-hmm. And you just slip, you slip in and that's it. You know, Good. no wonder this thing isn't allowed in the Galar region. This thing is a monster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so moving on to what we want to talk about next is Vileplume and obviously Gloom and, and Oddish. But uh, Vileplume itself is based on a plant, I believe it's pronounced uh, Rafflesia, which is a parasitic flowering plant, which r- learning about this was wild to me uh, because I saw that it, it doesn't have stem, doesn't have leaves doesn't have its own roots. Brandon, how does this plant work? Yeah, so yep, Rafflesia is right and 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 uh it's a very cool plant. Uh well, it's kind of a parasit it is a parasitic plant and it requires that it it encounters a specific vine uh that this plant called Tetrastigma in and and this is in Sumatra and and it you know so it needs this it needs this host plant in order and it needs these spores uh, to latch onto this. So, um, it's a very strange thing where, uh, people, I, you know, and when I look at when I see this kind of plant, I'm like, wow, I want to grow this thing. Um, but I'm not sure anyone's able ever done it much in cultivation, right? Because it's such a strange, uh, it's just a strange, uh, symbiotic relationship between these two plants. Mm -hmm. And it's not the kind of thing that you can like, if you know the the vine that it needs, it's not the kind of thing that you can just like put them together and make it happen. Like it's it's it just it re- it just needs to happen like naturally. Well, yeah, I, I imagine if you know you have if you if you figure out all the components you need from each of those, you could probably read you could do it. But you know, uh, you know, nature's pretty wild, and um, you know, so you know, we know the species of the Verflesia, and we know the host plant. Um, the tetrastigma, uh, it, I read, is also a, a, a sort of a parasite of itself. Um, so it's also it's relying on other plants, and and so you you have this like host plant. You have this you have this Rafflesia relying on a, this plant, and then this plant's relying on this plant, and then so it's like okay, how many how many things do I need to put together to make this happen? How many parasites do we need? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> parasites on par- it's parasites all the way down. <laughs> That's right, uh, Lucas. I'd say I think we also got a new slogan for the show that, for, courtesy of Brandon, which is "Nature's pretty wild." <laughs> Nature, it, I mean, it, it, Nature's pretty wild, and that's when we started this podcast. And when I started teaching this stuff in conventions, was the fact that nature is wilder and crazier than any video game could ever put together if we were to take what we are talking about now and put it into the pokemon game we would some we would get a rated m game it's nuts (laughs) you just get all the empty out 
victory bell and find all the bones of james <laughs> with every bone that falls out the rating gets higher like oh rated e clunk rated e 10 clunk clunk rated t clunk, rated m just every bone coming out increases it so uh back to back to vile plume though so this one is also one of those foul smelling plants correct yes um which they they talk about in the uh in the pokedex but they also talk about people being into it yeah, gloom especially. <laughs> gloom people say like one in a thousand people enjoy smelling this thing. Yeah. And huh. they, they also talk about, I think they say, don't they make people make like perfume from it? Or was <laughs> I imagining that? I mean, it's not the worst thing people make perfume out of. I mean, ambergris, you know, whale vomit has been used yeah. to make perfume for a long time. Super valuable stuff. You can find a chunk of that stuff worth millions of dollars. But um, yeah, apparently it's just a honey-like substance that just smells so bad you can smell it um uh, apparently specifically 1.25 miles away which is it's very, very specific spe- yeah very oh. specific <laughs> especially for a game that tends to translate to kilometers yeah well i also thought i also thought it was funny for gloom because it does go out of its way to say that the honey is sweet it just smells awful which is very strange for for how closely taste and smell are tied yeah that is that would be such a weird from a gastrology perspective that would be such a weird thing to have and i could actually see why one of the thousand people would go for it because from an experience perspective like the reward of being able to eat something like the challenge of being able to smell something keep getting closer to it it smells so bad you're about to vomit and you taste it and it's sweet that unique perspective could sell a lot of money. I don't know why I'm all into profit today, but I'm like, I can make a lot of money off some disgustingly stupid foodies. <laughs> That's right. Well, Lucas, I'm going to do something that you don't like doing, which is uh, hypothesizing in the game. So, Brandon, we talked about how Reflesia is a parasitic plant. It's not anywhere in the Dexes or anything. And Oddish always, to me especially with the parts of it being pulled up and screaming always seemed to more like a mandrake to me and it's, it's inspiration. Would you say it's reasonable to make the assumption that that gloom is a, uh, basically Oddish encountered some form of parasitic plant to create gloom, eventually vile plume, but it's still that parasitic thing. How we get from this weird little green and blue bulb to vile plume. Well, yeah, you know, it's a good it's a good theory there because like essentially this Reflesia needs to be it needs to be this um this spore or whatever. Uh it needs to find its host, right? So if it doesn't find its host, then it doesn't start to develop a bud. So I think that Adash is this it's this maybe it is that 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 spore, if you will, of where it's looking to latch on to that vine. I don't you know, uh, where is, where is, um, see, yeah. Whereas when he evolves, he's more a bud. Um, he's, he's a very, he's a very, uh, like a bud ready to open. Right. So it's, um, that is certainly already latched on to its, um, its host, you know, if we are going to hypothesize further, I know it's not my thing, but if we're really going to do it, um, I think in term so again, we all know what it takes for a gloom to evolve to a vile plume, correct? And remember when we talked when I talked about stones earlier, stones are just a form of energy of some kind, just like we were talking about with the tubers. So my thought process is just like the tuber is used in our world to gain energy and so they can bloom, 
that that vial plume is going to use that energy and it's going to bloom. Now, obviously in the game, you can keep it living forever. But what if it's similar to your corpse flower in that it doesn't live long? Like it's not going to, once it blooms like that, it's using all of this stored leaf stone energy as much as possible. Then it's going to attract something to spread its spores out, maybe like a rattata or something. And then the spores wander off until it eventually finds an oddish. So what you're saying is that when you evolve your gloom, you're basically condemning it to a 24-hour life as a vile plume. Well, not 24 hours. I'm not a monster. Give it a week. A week. Well, you know, that's what Rathlesia does, really. It just it flowers and it produces um, some sort of fruiting body, and then that's it. Yeah, again, yeah. I have no evidence to assume that vile plume isn't, like, you know, that way, but... I don't know. People have assumed weirder things that have been far more destructive to mankind, knowledge-wise. So no one's going to stop me from saying vile plume might only live for a week. Everyone's always on Parasect for being the, the parasitic Pokemon in Gen One, but we've discovered the real one, which is vile plume. Yes, everyone, put on your tinfoil hats, make the tumbler. Come on, <laughs> off you get. <laughs> Um, well, Lucas, I, we're, we're coming up on time, but I know you wanted to ask Brandon about, uh, one, one specific Pokemon. Yes. This is one. It's one of those, um, again, there are a couple of forgotten Pokemon that people don't really talk about. Uh, Petilil. Petilil? Petilil. Petilil. Thank you. Petilil. Cute little bulb turns into a beautiful little dancing flower girl, but it is part based on medicinal plants. Things that it supposedly tastes bitter, but it's supposed to help you with pain. Uh, my question is because it's partially based on onions, and I love onions. With uh, We've been talking about smells and different chemistry. With onions, what exactly is making me cry when I try and make my family rice? Like, is this some kind... Is it supposed... Is When an onion is cut or used, is this a repellent? That is it repellent mainly to mammals? Or is it really going after... Is it supposed to be attracting something else? I'm trying to figure out if I'm... Should I be eating this? From the plant's perspective. You're, you're asking if it's like capsaicin or if it's like, uh, if, is it a defense mechanism? Basically? Yes. Is it trying to attract something and I'm not it? Or is it a defense mechanism for everything? It's a chemical irritant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it is defense. Yeah. It's, it, it is. A, it's a, from, and I also saw that I think it's like an oxide maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so the second it gets cut open, it works with the oxygen to attack the parts and at least our eyes and makes us freak out. Yeah. So do you want a, a, a quick tip uh, about how to make that more palatable? I've heard many tips. Let me hear yours. Use a sharp knife. I already use oh. Dude, I literally spent my first paycheck on a Japanese cooking knife. And I, <laughs> I have to say, you are correct. Like that, yeah, I, I have noticed that I'm not crying as much. Do you know why? No. So if your blade is dull, you're cutting, but you're also crushing. Oh. And so if, if it's not sharp enough, you're crushing all those little like kind of like capsules. And it's it's base, it's like it makes it like pop more. Note to self when killing Patilli, use sharp <laughs> knife. Got it. Sharp knife. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah. A, a lot of people, I know I'm bad at this too, but we let our kitchen knives just kind of get dull and never really be sharpened them, which is very dangerous because that's how you cut yourself. Uh, Cause you use a lot of force when it, you shouldn't have to use any force when cutting things. 
or very little. There's some things that do take a little bit of oomph, but um, the duller they get, the more force you use, the more likely you are to slip and cut yes. yourself. So make sure your kitchen knives are sharp, everybody. Now, it's I'm safety. Pa- yeah. Now, with the time we have, didn't you have one other... Like, we talked a little bit about it before this. You want to bring up our last Pokemon uh, for this yeah, man? We talked, yeah, we, did, we, talked, we talked a little bit about them. So we're talking carnivorous plants, but Brandon, we're North Carolina. I feel like we have to talk about our native son, a.k.a. the Venus flytrap. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Carnivine, yeah, obviously. I don't think we got to go too deep into, you know, this is a Venus flytrap. And we've already talked about the the smell and how it attracts. What's the the mechanism that it uses to trap? Is it like, is it does it have a bunch of sensors? Like what's happening there when something makes contact with a flytrap? Yeah, so they're on the flytrap itself, there are multiple trigger hairs they're called then there's these little tiny probably about two millimeters they stick up there's a couple of them on the trap and it needs to trigger two of those uh, it's thought that two of them need to be triggered within a couple seconds and mm-hmm. then it'll trigger it to close and i think that that's because if a false fire basically kills it right because it's used so much energy yeah, you know, and, and the other thing is, is it will close up. So if you trigger the two hairs and you, you did it manually, you like say by your hand or whatever, uh, or as something glances by it and it doesn't catch it, the trap will open back up probably okay. by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So it's not, a de- it's not a death sentence. No, but the thing is, is the thing is, is if it does, and it's very good at tr- catching things, uh, if it does close on the insect, it will digest parts of that insect and it will close it will not open back up until it's done with it here sorry here's my question about it in the pokedex it says carnivine uses sweet smelling saliva so this plant in the real world doesn't need to use any kind of smell to attract its prey no to to my knowledge there's no smell oh there there is no smell that you you know that a human can pick up from it it, it is though kind of uh, luring uh, with its colors and the the, the colors, I think, um, draw the insect in. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And the, the last thing, I might put you on the spot with this one, Brandon, but I have never thought of a good reason why, so I'm going to pick your brain. Why on earth does this Pokemon get the ability levitate? Like, is there any any reason with the Venus flytrap why it should have levitate? That's really strange, actually. Um, In the game, it makes sense because it says, oh, it uses its vines to wrap around trees and hold itself up. But as we all know, these things live on the ground in terrible soil. Yeah. And and it's crazy because when you go to the habitat, they are among the lawn, the grass, the Mm -hmm. the weedy grasses. You would – you could, you know, step on them and not even know you're on them. Yeah. That's how, like – you know, when we think of Venus flytraps, I think people a lot of times think of like, well, these things are big and they're, you know, you, you can't miss them. But in the wild here in North Carolina, with these habitats uh, where you find them, you know, they're among other weedy grasses and stuff in these swamplands. Um, but they're pretty small, you know, they're just hugging the ground. Yeah. What would be a better ability for it, you guys think? Hmm. This is where we need Don's input. Don can just rattle off abilities off the top of his head. (laughs) This is where I think, like, strong jaw would be an interesting (laughs) one if you give it some biting moves. I think it needs levitate because it needs to get up off the ground. Um, But that's just a... 
you know, it needs to get more, moving to more, go hunting. More yeah. of a joke, but yeah, it's more of like um, just, that's all it needs. That's I'm trying to think of like something else to. I mean, I can't think of anything other than something like strong jaw that would work. Chlorophyll is kind of like the baseline. Like if there's a Pokemon, if there's a grass type, you don't know what ability to get. Uh, chlorophyll or Leaf Guard, just give it one of those. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe, uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? I think these are all the abilities, but we got Flower Veil, no. Overgrow, meh. Sap Sipper, nah. Chlorophyll, okay. Effect Spore, no. Yeah. Grassy, grassy Surge, maybe i i don't because it lives in such terrible soil that's fair. yeah no uh harvest leaf garden overgrow so i don't really feel like there's an applicable grass type ability in game we got a few minutes let's make one up let's yeah we got three of us here brandon what are your thoughts what would you like to see this thing do well there what as far as a move that it needs to know or like an ability okay it has the hair like structures right so what if we um what if we gave it an ability called hair trigger where if you make an impact onto if you make it, priority moves do damage to you like if you use a priority move on this thing you take the damage I was gonna say well what is um Galar Stunfisk have oh the um oh, the one that bear trap one yeah uh, I'm trying to think. isn't it, isn't it something like you're trapped yeah that would actually be how about a physical anytime you make a physical attack you're trapped inside the um. You are trapped as long as the carnivine is there. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. It, tr- call it trigger hair, and if you make contact with it, you're stuck in battle. You can't retreat. Yeah, hair trigger, any physical attack, you're stuck. What if it was able to use, like, a psychic move and, and kind of, like, you know, knock its opponent out or draw its opponent in better? Oh, like, isn't there, isn't there, a, isn't there a grass one that's, like, like sweet scent or something? Oh, sweet that's, scent uh... increases invasiveness. It, it decreases evasiveness. It's perfect for making things like hypnosis hit harder. So that would be interesting where it, you know, so that how there's an intimidate on the field. Mm-hmm. Well, instead of intimidate lowering attack, this one's lowers evasiveness. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So this one, instead of like increasing your, va- it lowers the evasiveness just by being on the field. So that means gotcha. like things like hypnosis and focus blast actually have a chance of hitting. Yeah. I don't know. Again, weird plant. Weird plant. Lucas, I think we are coming up on the end of this. So we have to ask our customary question for Brandon. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Which Do it. Is, if you could put any plant in the game as a Pokemon, what would you put? That's a that's a tricky one. You know, I remember as a kid playing the first couple versions and thinking, man, this this game needs a Venus flytrap. And then later And then we got it, one. <laughs> later on there was one. So the only plant I know of that could be in the game is the stinging bush in Australia, but we've already talked about how horrifying that thing is. I mean, we, we, we're, t- we're forgetting about the, the star of this episode, which is we don't have a corpse flower plant. Well, yeah, that's I, I was thinking about that. And the Rafflesia kind of the, the Victor Bell. No, the um, yeah, the Victor Bell and, and uh, sorry, Vileplume. Yeah, uh, kind of covers that in that it's, you know, it's kind of the corpse flower. But mm-hmm. but they I, I think there could be room for I, I think how there about, could be room for a corpse How flower. about a Galler? Vileplume, or like a different a region variant Vileplume. Oh, yeah. So that way we can keep the corpse flower identity and it, do what we did to Executor, <laughs> make, make it, it tall. <laughs> well, and, it, and it's also interesting. It's interesting that the the Rafflesia and the the corpse flower, the Titanium species, come from the same place. Mm-hmm. I, I think that would be really funny in the Pokemon world if we bring this in. It's the typing is like just is like 
poison ghosts or something, or like uh, just because a corpse flower, so grass ghosts instead of grass poison, yeah. it reeks. And its biggest characteristic, oh, what's it? It's tall. It's like, big, big <laughs> plant, just, big smelly plant. It's just really t- I'm just imagining an executor, only instead of executor going all the way up, it's just vile plumes, like bluish gray body, just extending through the roof. It's, it's got the, it's got the, the G-Max Meowth, just a yeah, long, just a, long, long boy. You are a long boy. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, All man. right. Well, on that note, Lucas, let's, let's head to the wrap-up. Please. Oh, my gosh. All right, Brandon. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, if anyone would want to connect with you or, or learn more about Lupin or, or your work, how, how would they go about doing that? Yeah. Um, you know, probably Instagram is good. Um, you know, uh, my, uh, if that's, if that's fine, um, Instagram, uh, handle is, uh, it's B H U B Z Z. Um, and, uh, cause I post a lot of plant, I post a lot of plant photos, man. You know, I, I, I mostly post plant photos and especially some of the cool and bizarre plants that I like to grow. We will leave the Instagram down in the description below. So that way they can contact you because I'm looking at it now. These are some amazing pictures, dude. And Lucas, I'll have you also put the, uh, the link for the live stream for Lupin's bloom this year. Roger. Dodger. Um, so, so that people can like cycle through and kind of, if you scroll really fast, you can see it go. It's really cool. Sweet. I guess, yeah, that's our episode. So thank you again, listener, for, for giving us your time and, and spending an, a little, guess we're, well, I guess we're a little over an hour at this point, aren't we, Lucas? Oh, yeah, we're by now. <laughs> we're probably in the editing booth. You're going to be like, there's so much stuff, yeah. but it's worth it. So, guys, the best way you can help us out, leaving a review, letting us know what you want. We've had some really good requests and we are going to get to all of them, but we can't do them unless you guys tell us what you think. If you like our stuff, if you don't like our stuff, if you think there are constructive ways we can improve, we love hearing that from you. So please leave a review, leave a comment. We will listen. We will be there on Twitter, on Facebook. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. Really, you guys, you guys rock. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you, Lucas. Thank you for joining. My pleasure. We'll see you guys in the next one. Thanks for having me. Goodbye, everybody. Mm